If you have your Bibles with you tonight, and you want to turn there, I'll be taking some Scripture out of the Gospel according to Matthew, and we'll start reading in chapter 21, and uh, we'll start reading at about verse uh, 24, and uh, down through about verse 32. You see, one of the things while you're finding that, uh, it's Matthew 21, starting at verse 24, uh, while you're finding that, you know, one of the things that, that occurs to me uh, when I read this particular set of Scripture is, is that at no point, and, I, and I've read the Bible from one end to the other multiple times, and at no point does God look at us and say, you've gone too far. Right. You've messed up once too often. You took a wrong step and I'm done with you. Now, people will do you that way. You'll, you'll get farther. You'll, your need for forgiveness will exceed their willingness to give it. But God's, God's knows no bounds. And that when He deals with us and when we get out there, and, and, and I'll be perfectly honest with you, uh, I've never lived a perfect day in my life. I've never had a perfect moment. I've never... Walk that now. I've done. I've done better at one time and then worse at another. And I'll tell you though that that really where a real relationship with the Lord is is that you keep coming back to Him, you keep resorting to Him, and you keep seeking Him. You keep asking and seeking and knocking, and that's all that He asks from us is not perfection, but rather pursuit uh, that we may, may be called uh, a person after God's own heart. Uh, uh, ready worship, ready to pray, ready to seek Him out continually, constantly in His Word, that we might know Him in a better way, in a more intimate way. Because every time that I get into His Word, I learn something new. Every time that I get down and pray, I get blessed. And brothers and sisters, let me tell you, there's been a few times I've been on my knees with gritted teeth, angry and upset because I haven't gotten what I want or it's too slow in the coming. And yet He deals with me kindly because that He knows me. He knows my tendencies, but He knows my heart too. And though I may not always yield to His will. He knows that deep down I'm seeking Him. I'm asking. I'm knocking. And I tell you, that's what God wants is a good, honest effort from us. And here in Matthew 21, Jesus gets posed a question by the Pharisees and they begin, you know, they're dogging every step that He's taken. And if you're familiar with the book of Matthew, you know that this is a point in His ministry when it's real close to the crucifixion. And they've got a body of evidence that they would love to trot out against Him and find fault with Him and everything. So they, uh, uh, they posed a question and asked Him about His authority. And we'll start reading in verse 24 where He, where he asks a question of them. It says in verse 24, And Jesus answered and said unto them, I also will ask you one thing, which if ye tell me, I in likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. Verse 25, He says, The baptism of John, whence was it? From heaven or from men? 
And they reasoned with themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, He will say unto us, uh, Why did ye not then believe Him? Verse 26, But if we shall say of men, We fear the people, for all hold John as a prophet. Uh, and you see, let's stop right there, because uh, the Pharisees and Jesus knew what was in their heart, uh, and it was no good. Uh, and a lot of times when a person uh, is in most need of salvation uh, is when their heart never considers uh, God, because all they were looking at was what would best serve them in this instance. That they were unwilling to look around and say, you know what? Uh, uh, there seemed to be something to what John was doing uh, and perhaps it was from heaven. Uh, but they never wanted to consider that. Uh, and then if they said uh, it was from men, they knew uh, that men believed uh, because they saw what John had done uh, and they knew that it was from heaven. Uh, and so uh, what they do then uh, is they don't commit. Because it says in verse 27, and they answered Jesus and said, We cannot tell. And he said unto them, Neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. Uh, that he looked at him and he told him, Look, uh, if you don't ask, seek, and knock, you're not going to find out. Uh, now you asked him the question, uh, By what authority have you done these things? Uh, what they're wanting, you see, is a sign. Uh, they're wanting to say, uh, I am the Most High. I am the Son of God. Man. God made into a man and I've come to do these things. But you see, they wouldn't have believed at that. That if you read in the gospel according to John, you'll find now he looks right at him and says, if you don't believe me because of what I'm saying, believe me for the very work's sake. Look at what I'm doing. That they had more than enough evidence and you see, they needed to take it on faith and believe on him. Even if they saw, even if they saw the man face to face, and you'll notice now that after the resurrection, if you were to read about that, they still wouldn't believe. They paid the Roman centurions to say, to testify that while they slept, the disciples came and stole Jesus' body away. Now you think about how ridiculous that is. I don't know about you all, but most of the time when I'm asleep, I don't know what's going on. I can't testify. That is not admissible in a court of law to try to testify about what happened while you were asleep. But they didn't want to believe. They didn't want to believe John, and that's why Jesus answered them in the way in which that He did. He told them, look, if you answer my question, I'll answer yours. And I have little doubt that if they'd have said one or the other, that Jesus would have answered them. But He said, I'm not going to tell you. But then He speaks to them. In a parable. And this parable is yet again where Jesus says it's just like Isaiah said that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. And so he, he begins now with this parable. It says uh, in the remainder of verse 27, it says, Neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. Verse 28, But what think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, Go to work today in my vineyard. Verse 29, and he answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. And verse 30, he came to the second and said, Likewise, and he answered not. Or he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. 
That what we have are two different situations uh, where one said, yeah, sure, I'll follow you. I'll do as you've asked. Uh, and then he doesn't go. Uh, and, and it's well said in the Bible that it's better uh, to not make a vow than to make a vow and break it. Uh, uh, but the man now, uh, the first son, he said, I don't want to go. I'm not going to do it. But then he thought it over uh, and he repented of what he had said. Uh, and then he went. Uh, and and the, the second one, he said, oh, yeah, sure. I'll go and he made an empty promise and that second one is like the Pharisees. They run around with a manner and a likeness of godliness uh, uh, that they walked around uh, and loved the greetings in the marketplace uh, and they loved uh, uh, the accolades that it would bring them. Uh, but the very moment that it would get difficult, uh, they would quit. Uh, but you see, the thing is, uh, is even if you say no, even if you turn away, uh, even if you mess up, uh, the real telltale sign uh, of a Christian is whether or not you'll repent. Whether or not you'll hearken to the voice of the Lord or let Satan say, Oh no, you can't get forgiveness for this one. You've gone too far. You've messed up, brothers and sisters. That's a lie out of hell. That God is quick to forgive. He's quick to turn things around for us. And all we got to do is just turn to Him and say, Lord, I can't, I can't fix this. I can't help this. Uh, I, I'm not good enough, God. Uh, I, I, I'm filthy and I need you to clean me up. You know, I, I had an instance when I went to the doctor one time and they said, you know, as doctors do, they'll come in, what's going on with you today? And of course, by the time you get back there, they've already asked you 30 times and had you wait in six different rooms They've wooled about every bit of the hair off of you that they can. I guess they're trying to see if you're really committed to seeing them. And so you get back there and then they come in and they act like they're shocked that you're there. And they say, well, what's going on with you? And then I began to describe to them what was going on with me. And I tell you the absolute truth. They looked at me and said, well, what do you think it is? And I said, buddy, if I knew what it was, I wouldn't be here. I thought that I looked around and I come real close to saying the smart alecky nature in me come real close to saying, buddy, I don't have a medical degree. I thought you did. Now, if you don't, I'm going to hit the door. Yeah. And you see, a lot of times, though, they'll ask that question and they'll pose it and you'll look around and say, well, I need you to help me. And yet when it comes to our spiritual life, we'll look around at the Lord and we'll say, I got this. I can handle this. I'm strong enough. I'm big enough. Right up until you're not. Right. Remember what I said last Sunday about the little kid? Grab something up and go to packing it and them just a staggering all over the place. And you go to take it from them because it's about to ride them to the ground. And they say, no, I'll do it myself. And we're just like that with God. No, I'll do it myself. And He'll watch you. The Holy Ghost, He's a gentleman. He won't force anything on you. But the moment that you say, Lord, help me. I need help. He'll reach down from on high. And He'll pick you up. And that's a surety. That's a guarantee out of the Word of God. This is not just me saying stuff. Because the only time... 
that your faults and your failures become permanent is when you refuse to turn them over to God. When you refuse to repent and turn back. And this first son now, he might not have started out good. But let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. It ain't how you start out. It's how you end up. It's when you close your eyes and you go into the arms of the Lord. He'll look at you and say, Thou good and faithful servant, well done. Enter ye in. He won't say, Now here's all the good. Over here's all the bad. Let's see how it balances out. And praise be unto God that it isn't like that. Because if it was, I'll go ahead and tell you, you're already at a great deficit from your terrible twos and stuff you don't even remember. And you can't make up for all of it. You didn't have a choice in some of it. And you've gone astray and you've messed up. And everybody that comes to the Lord a lot of times, they'll say, now I've got to clean myself up. I've got to get straightened out before I come to the church house. I've got to get fixed up. Even a Christian will say, now I've got to do this, 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 and this rather than saying, Lord, whereunto can I cleanse my path except for by taking heed unto Your Word. And Lord, I know that You have the words of eternal life. And Lord, I need cleaned up. I've come to You because I can't fix it. Just like I went to that doctor, if I could have fixed it myself, I would have. But I come to him. Now he did eventually help me, but I felt like I was going to have to take him in a headlock in order to get him to do it. But God's far more willing to help than than man is. He'll stick closer than a brother to you. And this young man now that Jesus talked about, the one that repented and went, Jesus poses a question in verse 31. He says, whether of them twain did the will of his father. And a good teacher always asks a question. And always ask leading questions. It's not admissible in court, but fortunately in teaching you can, ask, you can ask leading questions. And he asked them, which one did the will of his father? The one who merely spoke? Or the one who actually said, no, I'm not going, and then went? In other words, it's by your actions. It's well said. Actions speak louder than words. And brothers and sisters, a believer is a doer. They'll do. When you believe something, if somebody tells you something's going to happen and you believe it, you'll do something. Oh, yeah. That when we get down and pray, and we pray, say, for our loved ones, are we willing to watch them suffer through conviction and getting sin sick in order that they might be saved? Even if it takes them coming up to the very end of their life. And at the last moment, now there's a lot of people, now I'll go ahead and tell you this, there's an unsound doctrine floating out around about there where the people say, oh, I don't believe in deathbed repentance. And I'll tell you this, I believe in it. With every fiber of my being, now we'll say this, it's a bad plan. Anybody who says, well, I'm going to wait until I'm on my deathbed and I'm going to get saved and you'll never catch me preaching that. But I tell you, I'll go to a man on his deathbed if he's laying there and he doesn't know Christ is the Savior and I'll tell him it's not too late. You can get right. They may look around and say, but I don't have any good deeds that I've done. Brother, it ain't about good deeds. They may say, well, I've not read the Bible. It's not about memorization. It is about Jesus Christ. Christ and Him crucified for our sins. Now just the same as I can tell you this. 
And I've thought about this a lot. You know that we live a godly life before the Lord. We sanctify ourselves and we're supposed to. And if you're not praying, Lord, sanctify me. Start today. That you pray that God sanctifies you. That He directs you. He orders your steps. Because a lot of times what will happen is people will, want, will not look to God for all of those things. And they'll get weaker and weaker. I've heard Brother Scott Marshall say it many times. Christians are like cars. Once they start missing... If something don't happen, they'll quit. That's right. And you see, the, the, the real thing is, like I've missed work a lot of times, but when I missed work, I didn't really miss work if you catch my drift. Oh, yeah. I was kindly glad to be staying oh, at the yeah. house. But our attitude about coming out to the house of the Lord, our attitude about devouring His Word, our attitude about prayer tells a lot about the health of our relationship to God. And sometimes, if you're angry, pray. If you're happy, pray. If you're sad, pray. There's a sign on the other side of the door right there that says prayer changes things. And what it does is it moves the hand of the Most High God. And brothers and sisters, if you want His hand in your life, you better be praying for it. You better be asking to live a sanctified life because it's not how you start out. It's how you end up. The second son now, he said, I'll go and then didn't go. That's hypocrisy. That's where you say, oh no. And that's what Jesus was showing the Pharisees. Now you see Jesus' disciples, at first they balked. And a lot of people, the hardest souls to win are the ones that they kind of know what they're getting into. And I know that because I was one of them. I knew what it was to be a Christian. I knew how it would limit me with sinful things. And I thought, no, I don't want to give those up. And when I got saved, though, the thing was, is God made it to where I couldn't enjoy sinful things anymore. It didn't appeal to me because He took the joy out of it. It's just like if a person never got hungry and they only eat because they had to, I guarantee you they wouldn't overeat. Well, it's the same with sin is that God takes the joy for a Christian out of sin. Now if they keep running right over top of it, God will begin to withdraw. Because He won't live in an unkept house. The Holy Spirit won't kick the door in and come in until you tell Him there's, a, there's an illegal tenant in there. Second, when you have sin in your life, you're supposed to throw that closet door open and say, God, here it is. I can't, I can't defeat this. I'm not good. I'm not strong enough. Because when you do that, you'll find that you'll get stronger. Because when you see how God delivers you, that you'll see then, hey, He's at work in my life and it will build your faith up. And how does a person build their faith? By trusting in God. I'll tell you this story to give you an understanding. And God used this uh, years after the fact. This was before I was even saved. And He brought it back to my memory a couple of years after I got saved. I was running one of them big old mowers that uh, my dad and his company bought years before I... Uh, some of them before I was even born. I was running one of them over there at Beach Fork Lake one day. Uh, and I'd run one on the flats a whole lot. And I can tell you, it's easy to mow them flats. And I'd sailed on one with no instruction or anything like that. And I began to mow back and forth. And I was 16 years old and I, I felt like as we would say I was born with a big auger. Man, I felt good because I'd, all I'd ever done was swing a weed eater. And I got on that thing and I began to run it. And I'd seen my dad and uncles and brothers and stuff run those things. And then I got done with the flat easy part. And I had to get on that slope. And when I got on that slope, now I'll tell you that I began to go back and forth and I, it wasn't very steep. That stuff now I mow is 10 times steeper. 
This is the first time. And Brother Dennis, I thought my toes was going to bust through the bottoms of my shoes of trying to hang on to that machine. I grabbed a hold of the arm of the chair I was sitting in and I was running it and the whole time I said, now I've seen Dad do this lots. One time I, I was out weed eating and shut the weed eater off and I heard something sounded like Dad hollering at the top of his lungs and he was mowing a way under steeper part than what I was. And I heard him singing Amazing Grace while he was mowing just without a care in the world. That's the way it was. He, it didn't, and I thought, I need to get to that. But I was scared because I had no faith in myself and in that machine, but I knew that it could be done. But I had never done it before. I'd never been there. And I made it from one end of that dam to the other. And when I turned that thing around and started back the other direction, I felt a little more comfortable. And I made another pass. And then as I went on and on and I seen that it could be done, my faith began to build because that I'd been through it. And brothers and sisters, your faith has to build. If it's not growing, it's dying. If you're not trusting, then you're discounting what God can do in your life. Because this young man, this first one that he said, I won't go, and then he went, what he said is I'll look around and I'll do what my father has asked because he's diligent to take care of me, and I'll go and I'll do. You ever had God lay something on your heart and you're afraid to go? You'll start thinking about what the other person might say if he said, I want you to go to him and pray for him. I want you to help him. And you'll say, well, Lord, they're going to think I'm crazy. Lord, I'm not, I'm not that type of person. And maybe he just takes your hand in his like you're a little child and says, will you do it for me? Yeah. And you say, well, yeah. But Lord, I don't know how it's going to turn out. And you see, then you go. Turns out he had everything worked out. That's right. yeah. All you had to do was just show up. That's how our God works. And you see, there are lots of instances where somebody messes up in the Bible. And our God is a God of second chances. Now I will say this, and Paul warned against this, we shouldn't just sin just willy-nilly with the intention of repenting after. But even then, even then He'll forgive you. And you may say, I don't know, Brother Jeremiah, it's awfully hard to swallow. Well, I reckon everybody here is a parent of some kind or being a child of some kind. And I can tell you that a parent will forgive the kid no matter what. My kids have deliberately disobeyed me, rebelled against me, and yet I still love them. Oh, yeah. Yet I'll still take care of them. Now, I may want to kick them right in the caboose from time to time, but I've told all three of them on many different occasions there ain't a thing that you can do about my love for you. You can't stop it. And my love doesn't even come close to comparing to God's love for each one of you. You think you've gone too far? That's Satan trying to get you to stay in sin. You mess up. The true measure of what kind of a Christian you are is how quickly you recover and repent. You know, time fails me to turn there, but there's an instance in the book of the Acts in which that Paul and Barnabas and a man by the name of John Mark, they go on a missionary journey. John Mark quits on them. And then there's another missionary journey and Paul says, I ain't taking him. He's not worth bringing along. Paul had no faith in John Mark. Barnabas said, I'm going to take him. Now, of course, uh, uh, Luke, who wrote the book of the Acts, he said it's because that uh, Mark was Barnabas' cousin. 
And he took him. But you see, Barnabas took Paul when nobody else would even open the door for him. You remember that? When Paul went to knocking on doors in Jerusalem and they opened it up and and slammed it back. Yeah. Because Paul was Saul, the great persecutor of Christians, and they might have looked around and said, he might have changed his name, but I smell a rat. Uh But it was Barnabas. It says Barnabas took him. Barnabas was a guy, I believe, that understood second chances. And Paul, he might have had a little bit of the pharisaical tendencies in him still yet. Uh, Some things die out a little slower. Uh, And John Mark, he did mess up and he turned back uh, and he quit. Uh, uh, And Paul held that against him. But if you read in the second, uh, second Timothy, I believe it's in the fourth chapter, that Paul begins talking to Timothy and he says, when you get a chance, come to me. Oh, yeah. And he said, the only one that's with me right now is Luke. And he said, and bring Mark with you. Yeah. He's useful to me. Yeah. You know what Paul was saying? He was saying, it ain't how he started out. It's how he ended up. Yeah. He come back uh, just like that prodigal son. Uh, now he went. Uh, he got his belly full. He believed the lies of the world. Uh, but when he came back, his father uh, fell upon his neck. Uh, wouldn't let him give his little speech uh, about I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Uh, he was a kissing him and a hugging him and a weeping upon him. Uh, because he said, I thought you were dead. Uh, and you've come back to me alive. And don't you make any mistake that that boy never wanted to leave ever again. Right. You think about what a difficulty that was for the father. He turned him over to sin. He, the boy looked at his dad and said, essentially, you know, I wish you'd go ahead and die so I could get my inheritance. And his dad said, well, with heartbreak. You imagine your kid saying that to you? The only thing that you are worth to me is money. And his father said, well, I'll give it to you then. And the Pharisees, when they heard that story, they were probably standing there saying, that stupid man. I'd cast that boy out. But he recognized in that boy, you see, and I've read this a lot differently in the last few years. I read it more from the perspective of the father than the son. And he knew that boy was never going to be satisfied there. And he went out into the world. He spent every dime that he had. Just about the time he ran out of money, things got bad. Oh, yeah. And you imagine the sight that that boy looked when he come back to his father. He might have been saying, Dad, now I stink. I've been slopping hogs. My clothes are in tatters. I'm unkept. I'm, I'm starved. I'm not worthy to be your son. And he said, Boy... That doesn't matter. You will always be my son and fell upon his neck. You think that God can't forgive you? I tell you that that is a lie out of hell. Uh, uh, That if you come to him, uh, regardless of what happens, uh, and you trust him, he'll forgive you. John Mark found out about that because John Mark, he wrote the gospel according to Mark. Oh, yeah, we mess up. Oh, yeah. I can't, if you could pick the best moment that you've ever lived for the Lord, if you could hand pick it, it still wouldn't be good enough to get you into heaven. Right. It's not about you, it's about Christ. Amen. You end up in Him. Yes. You see, because Jesus, when He sent His disciples out with power, you remember that? And they come back, and, and I, can, I can think about that. Uh, I, I was blessed or cursed, depending on how you look at it, a couple of years back, and I took a busload of 8th graders to Kings Island. Yeah. 
I don't know what I was thinking when I said, yeah, sure, I'll do that. And we went there. And now some of them I got to hang out with, you know, and I, I always tell my students, they ever one, bring me joy. Some when they come in my room, some when they leave. And I was with some of them, and when the day was over, and I looked around, and one of the other teachers pointed it out to me. They said, Jeremiah, I heard Mr. Williamson no less than a thousand times before they got on the bus. And they were everyone telling me about these things. And they were excited and they wanted to share it with me. And, and when, they, when I remembered back to that moment, I thought that might have been what the 70 were like when they come back to Jesus. Oh, Jesus, I went into Damascus. And let me tell you now what I did. I laid hands on, on this lady and prayed for her and she received her sight. And maybe another one said, yeah. And, and, and me and Andrew, we prayed for this woman that had a, a demon spirit and it listened to us at your name, Lord, and went out. Yeah. And just like I was with those kids, I imagine Jesus said, that, that's good. That's good. Yeah. He said, but don't just rejoice in that. Yes. He told him, he said, rejoice that your names have been written down. Yeah. Your name has been put in that book. Now stuff might not always go your, your way, but your name's in the book. That means you've got a reservation. A reservation for heaven. Uh, and while you can't take your earthly possessions there, uh, you can take your loved ones. When you bring them to Christ, He'll save them too. You ever think about that Philippian jailer? Paul and Silas got oh, thrown yeah. in jail. And they were there in the middle of the night. They were thrown in jail now for casting a demon out of a young woman. And a guy was profiting from her and from her predictions. Oh, yeah. The young woman followed him around for days and said, this guy speaks about the Son of the Most High. Listen to him. And finally, Paul, after several days, because he didn't want witness from the devil, he wanted witness from the Most High that he spoke and that demon obeyed and it had to depart. And you would think that they threw him a party, but they threw him in jail. And while they were in there, it says they began to pray and then they began to sing. Yeah. Yeah. They prayed and as that sign just on the other side of that door says prayer changes things. Yes. And it says that they began to sing. You don't hear singing in a jail. Right. Not like that. Not one of those jails. Before Elvis Presley ever did it, there was some jailhouse rock took place oh, that yeah. night. Because it said that while they were singing... It said that the very foundations of that jail began to speak. Maybe it was God uh, tapping His foot uh, because there was praise uh, in what they were singing uh, in the worst possible place they could have been. Uh, and said the cells began to burst open. Uh, uh, that was representative of the liberty uh, that we have in Christ Jesus. Uh, and said that the jailer come a-running uh, and throwed open the door. Uh, and Paul told him, because he took his own sword out and said, uh, they're all going to escape. I might as well kill myself and Paul hollered and said do thyself no harm we're all still here and he asked for Paul to be brought and he said well whatever it is you've got I need some of that and Paul told him about Jesus Christ and he said not only will he save you but he'll save your entire household and Paul preached Christ to him and the man was saved and that man brought Christ home to his family and they were saved and Paul was glad that he did time in prison because he was able to lead the jailer to Christ. When have you ever rejoiced over something bad happening to you? 
I don't know about you all, I'm still working on that. Oh, yeah. Okay, it's hard for me to say praise the Lord when I stump my toe. I might dance like I got the Holy Spirit, but I might not be praising the Lord at the moment. But you see, the reason that Paul and Silas were able to pray and to sing, and they weren't praying, now God, look what happened to us. You ever felt like that? As they say, no good deed goes unpunished. I believe they were praying and saying, God, I thank You that I'm worthy to suffer for Your name's sake. They were in prison because they were following the Lord. Are you willing to go to prison for the Lord? Are you willing to suffer for His name's sake? You may go in and never come out. There may not be a big miracle that happens, but I can tell you, even in the deepest, darkest hole, if you make your bed in the belly of hell, God will hear your cry that you'll never be forsaken when you trust in Him. And that's not a might be kind of thing. That's an absolute. Yes. And this world is so scarce with absolutes. Absolutely. Yes. And I tell you that Jesus Christ and Him crucified is all you must know to be saved. That a lot of times people in this world who just don't get it, they forget that it's all on Christ. You're not judged by your deeds. Now, your deeds will be a demonstration of the Lord in your life. Oh, yes. But they don't save you. Christ right. saves you. Amen. It's not about how many Bible verses you've read, how right. many church services you've attended, how many scriptures you've memorized, how often you pray. Because when you start doing that, you better be careful because there's scripture for that. Jesus told of a time in, in the temple where it says that a publican and a Pharisee went up to pray. And now, let me give you a little context about a, a publican. When they would say publican, and say it like I do, they said publican. It was almost like it was, a, it was vile to even say because they were a collaborator with the Roman government. They were a tax collector. They were crooked. Matthew, the one that wrote this same book, he was a tax collector. And they would say, all right, give me what to do, Caesar... And then give me a little extra. Uh -huh. They were thieves with a government paycheck. Yeah. Because when the publicans resorted to Jesus and they said, what can we do? And, or John, I'm sorry, John the Baptist. And John told them, don't take more than what you're supposed to. Yeah. And he said, and do good to people and help them out and everything. And this is all good advice. But these publicans, they were hated. They were reviled because they collaborated with the Roman government. They were thieves. And so Jesus said that there was one of them... And a Pharisee, a religious leader, went up to the temple to pray. And Jesus said that, that the Pharisee stood up there and he said, Lord, I pray often. I fast often. I give a lot of money into the offering. And God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Not like this publican over here. And then Jesus said, but the publican said he wouldn't even look up. Yeah. And said he beat upon his own chest. And all he said was, God, be merciful to a sinner like me. Oh, yes. You see, when you begin to try to count up how good you are, you're like the Pharisee. Yeah. Or if you're sitting there thinking, well, I thank God I'm not like that Pharisee. Oops. Uh -huh. You just became like the Pharisee. Yeah. It's no different than if I get up here and I preach about sin. And I warn you about particular types of sin and you look around and say, well, I know Brother Jeremiah ain't talking to me. 
I've got that one whooped. You better be careful. Oh, yeah. The way Paul put it, he said, anyone that thinks they stand should take heed. Unless they fall. You might be walking in a slippery place. Oh, yeah. And you don't even know it. Because Jesus said of that publican, he said the publican went down justified. Because he looked around and he said, God, I don't know that I'm good enough and I'm actually very sure I'm not. And God, what I need is Your mercy. I don't need Your pats on the back or anything like that. I need You to be merciful. What the world out there needs, Your lost loved ones, Your lost friends, the lost strangers that You encounter, they need God's mercy because the wrath is sure and the condemnation is already upon them. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world. It's already condemned. No point in doing that. But what he come to do was he come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And, and Jesus went on with other parables here and we'll not take time to try to read all of them, but I can tell you this, that every time that Jesus taught in a parable, He wanted to make it relevant to the individual. Oh, yes. Every time that you read this book, and you should be reading it on your own time, I highly recommend a daily communion with the Lord over His Word because it is food for your soul. I recommend first thing in the morning. Prayer, study of God's Word. You may say, Brother Jeremiah, I don't have time to read a chapter. Read a verse then. I've heard this Ever since I've been a Christian, I've even said it myself. A lot of people say, I just can't find the time. Pray, study the Bible, go to church, all these other things. But I've noticed that if you really look around, you will make the time. Even if it means cutting into your own meal time. I'll tell you this, fasting is not about a hunger strike so that you'll get what you want from God. It's you saying, God, I know I need to eat, but more than that, I need you. I need you to minister to me. I need your word. Because Jesus himself said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. What you need is the word of God. What you need is time spent in prayer because prayer changes things. You look around at a problem you have and you say it's big, God's bigger. Oh, it's small? Well, God can see that too. He comprehends the atom just as well as He comprehends the size of our galaxy. He knows it that well. In teaching, and I'll say this before I hush, in teaching, I've taught students about the atomic theory. And all the atomic theory, you know when I say it and I ask them, what do you think the atomic theory is? They'll say, oh, it's about atomic bombs. And you know, they always go to that stuff. I'm like, no. All it is is a theory in science that says everything's made of atoms. And they say, I thought that was just pretty well sure. And I said, you'd think. I said, but there's but one problem. We even now don't possess the technology to look at an individual atom. We can't see it. Everything we know fits with that notion. And I told him, I said, we can't see it, but we know it's there. Now, there's a sermon in that one right there, but I'm not allowed to preach it to them. But I tell you this, you may not be able to see God, but He's there. Oh, yeah. Okay? Right. And it's not theoretical because He'll show all the evidence that you need to believe. Uh, yes. You don't believe me? Ask Paul. You know what it took for Paul to believe? He had to get knocked off of his proverbial high horse. 
struck blind. Some it takes a lot. Some it doesn't take much. But all, He'll give the opportunity to believe. Church, if you want your loved ones saved, prayer changes things. If you want to know what to say to them, the Word of God would be a good place to start. Because I can tell you this, if you don't read it and get it inside, God's not going to force it on you. I have literally had people look at me and say, Brother Jeremiah, I just don't have the gift that you have with uh, understanding and, and reading and studying the Word of God. Look, I've done the work. Now God brings it out of me, but He's not going to pump a dry well. Right. And I'll tell you this, when I get up in the pulpit and when I've recorded these sermons and go back and listen to them, I'm like, I don't know how I remembered that. And then I remember, oh yeah, it's the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I might have put it in there and forgot about it, but He kept track of it. Yeah. Yeah. You ever done that? Put on a pair of pants and you stick your hand in the pocket and there's a $50 bill in there. Hot dog. That was your money the whole time. You didn't know you had it. That's the way God does us. God knows what's within us. And He'll bring it out if you'll let Him. He'll use you to bless somebody else. And I know I've been on this a lot lately and I'll say this before I hush. Make up your mind to be a blessing to others. And then let God bless you. Ask God to make you a blessing to others. Whatever form that that takes. And you may say, Brother Jeremiah, I just don't know what to do. Start with prayer. Get down and pray and say, God, I don't even know who to pray for. And the Holy Spirit, He'll say, well, I can tell you who's hurting right now. And pray for them. And He may say, why don't you give them a call? Call them. You may minister to them. They might minister to you. I can tell you, when you start yielding yourself to the Lord, you'll find that you'll become a blessing and you'll be blessed. I can tell you this, you put God on the back burner all the time, one of these days He's going to say, am I really relevant in your life? Am I your shepherd? Do you really trust me to do what I say I'm going to do in my Word? Because what He's coming back, and when Jesus comes back, you know what He's going to be looking for? He's going to be looking for the faithful. He's going to be looking for the ones that are looking for Him. The ones that when it says the end comes and the sky opens and Christ is revealed and every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess, we won't have to be bowing and confessing because we already did. I believe we'll be saying, Here I am! Lord, come get me. Covered in the blood of the Lamb. I am ready to go. Paul described it as the graveyards would burst open first and then those that are alive will be caught up with them. Church, I hope that you're ready. I pray that you're praying.